This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio brings you prescribed listening from our trusted contributors at the Ontario Pharmacists Association. Welcome back. If you get sick or have a chronic condition that occasionally flares up, it can take a bit of time to get in to see your doctor. Did you know that many Ontario pharmacies offer free clinics throughout the year and from osteoporosis and diabetes to flu shots and seasonal wellness, pharmacy clinic days are a great way to learn more about health topics and to get to know your pharmacy team, which is important. Um, And what can you expect when you get there? I'm here with our trusted contributor, John Papasturgio of the Ontario Pharmacists Association. I'll say hello again. It's good to be back, Libby. (laughs) Okay, thanks, John. And uh, this is sort of like a little pharmacy clinic here, too. So let me give the numbers out if you have a question for John uh, that uh, pertains to any of the things we've mentioned or... Another question about your medication, the numbers to call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And John, how often do you have uh, pharmacy clinics and what do you do in them? It's a great question. So we try to have a different therapeutic topic at least once a week in my pharmacy. So it varies between pharmacies. Uh, um, I find... The clinic environment is great. It gets our patients to come in, start thinking about a different disease or a specific disease. Um, we invite patients to come in. A lot of times we'll be proactive. And if I'm holding a diabetes clinic, for example, I could easily see, run a report, see who are my patients that have diabetes. Let's get them in. Let's talk a little bit about diabetes. We have technologies now that allow us to check their blood sugar or their A1C right on site. And uh, it really is about, uh, you know, an educational opportunity uh, for the patient and then for the pharmacist to really review, um, have some, some time to review the patient's medication file in a little bit more detail and say, hey, are there any underlying problems here that maybe have been missed? I mean, people, you know, they get shifted around from their family doctor to their specialist or their pharmacist. And sometimes it just takes kind of a, a second to reset and look at that history and say, okay, what do we still need? What don't we need? Let's take some time here to clean up the medication profile. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I saw a really interesting study just a few weeks ago, because we often talk about deprescribing here. And it said that, I forget the number, but it said that a lot of people who are on asthma medication and have been diagnosed with asthma actually don't have it, either because it's gone into remission or they weren't properly tested in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. You know, their symptoms may have resolved. Uh, Maybe they were misdiagnosed early on because I think some of the criteria around diagnosis have changed as well. Uh, You know, it's funny you mention asthma because that's one our respiratory clinics are one of our most popular clinics. So we we invite our patients in. And what we do a lot of times is just spend some time training them on how to use their inhalers. So often people use them, and I think I was guilty of this too, using them improperly. They're not going to do any good. Absolutely. And, and, you know, usually how I start is I ask the patient, show me how you're using your inhaler. 
and you should see the things I've seen. I've had <laughs> patients, they don't even put it in their mouth. So they're spraying from afar because when the healthcare provider taught them, they said they did, the healthcare provider didn't actually put it in their mouth and said, you hold it here and you press. And the patient assumed that's the way I do it, right? Oh, so my they, goodness. They, this, patient, this poor patient, for example, wasn't getting medication for like half a year, right? Because they were just kind of spraying into the air, right? Uh, so and I paying see things for like it. That and paying for it as well. Some of the new inhalers, they, you know, I've seen things, they, they, they have pills that go into the inhaler and you crush the pill, right? And I had a, a customer, I said, show me how you use your, you know, your Spiriva inhaler. And uh, puts the puts the pill in, but didn't crush it. So he's kind of uh, blowing into or sucking into the inhaler, but there's no medication because that one step, you know, he forgot. So there's a lot of value in kind of that that education that the pharmacist could provide, and it it just takes sitting with the patient for a bit. Um, I just want to give the numbers out again because I bet there are a lot of people out there who have been diagnosed with asthma, and um, maybe it's a good time to check whether you still have it whether you ever had it in the first place. Uh, John was just talking about the correct way to use medication. I know that's a big problem when it comes to inhalers. So he's right here. The number's to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And have you seen patients who are going off their asthma meds? Absolutely. You know, with time, uh, uh, a lot of times... uh, uh, you know, the, the patient's condition will change, so we try to reduce their medication if they don't need it. We do, uh, we do what we, you know, we try some trial de-prescribing as well in some of these patients. They say, I've been asymptomatic for a long time. Let's see what happens if we take you off the inhaler for a bit, you know. Um, it, it does happen, but don't do it on your own. Generally, what I tell patients is follow up with your physician, follow up with your pharmacist, because uh, it may just be that the medication is working so well that you feel a lot better. So once we take it away, the symptoms come back. So it's it's a balance. But you're very right. It's always important to revisit some of these conditions uh, and not blindly refill your medication for years and years because there, there may be a change in your status as well. Uh, you mentioned diabetes. You know, that's a chronic condition. Uh, it's practically an epidemic. And it can be very hard to manage. Absolutely. And uh, um when I think of the most value, I think the, mo- the our clinic, the most valuable clinics are our diabetes clinics, and and the reason for that is many of these patients are on multiple multiple medications. So diabetes is really a spectrum. It starts from, you know, a type two diabetic may only be on one medication, but as as it progresses, you get put on multiple medications. A lot of times, these patients have comorbidities. So in addition to their diabetes, they have other conditions that they're trying to manage, and then if they transition to insulin, that adds a, a level of complication. So Sometimes as well. So, what we really try to do with those patients is help them understand, um, you know, why they're on certain things, uh, how they should be taking their medication, and is their diabetes controlled? Because a lot of times I'll have these patients come into the clinic. They'll be on four oral medications. We'll do what we call an A1C. What's an A1C? Uh, an A1C is a more accurate than like a blood sugar. It essentially tells us how well your blood sugar has been controlled over the last three months. So it's a measure of how much sugar. It's a blood test? It's a, a little blood prick test, kind of okay. like the uh, uh, like taking your blood sugar. And uh, we, we target to be under seven. And I'll have these patients that they come in and they're at nine or 10 and they've been on these medications for a very long time. And when you ask them, they're very well aware that their diabetes isn't controlled, but they don't want to transition to insulin. So a lot of my time is spent saying, insulin's not that bad. You're on all these meds, but they're not really doing anything for you right now. We've got to get you to that point where 
your, your, your blood sugars are better controlled because you want to avoid the complications. And there's many of them from diabetes. You know, uh, neuropathy, nephropathy, uh, it can affect your eyesight, like uh, organ damage. There's a lot of potential problems. And once they happen, it's very difficult to reverse. Uh-huh. Wow. Uh, so, again, with uh, diabetes, do people know that their diabetes is under control or they don't really have a sense of that? You know, I find that's a great question. I find many don't have a sense. They think because they're being managed and they're on medication that, hey, everything's good, especially if they're not monitoring and, and many of them don't monitor, especially the type 2 diabetics. We don't really need them to monitor at home as, as much as we used to uh, get them to monitor. Uh, they think, hey, you know, I'm asymptomatic, so I don't have any symptoms. Generally, you don't, right, if you're if you're at least somewhat being managed. But when you start looking at their, their, their blood work, you're like, hey, you know what? You got to make some changes beyond just the medications. You got to start exercising, uh, watching what you eat, all these other things, because um, if not, uh, we know that diabetes is a chronic progressive disease. It's going to get worse on its own anyways, but you're just helping it get worse faster, right? It's... It really is about empowering the patients with diabetes, I find. And it's not always easy to do, especially if they're newly diagnosed or just started. Mm-hmm. And uh, what are some of the medications that they're on for diabetes? And, and what are the common, what you call comorbidities? Yeah, so um, uh, most common medication you see in type 2 diabetes, still the mainstay is metformin, right? We put all our patients on it pretty much right away. Uh, very good drug. A lot of evidence suggests that if you use it, uh, it helps outcomes down the line. But you got to do all these other things we talked about as well. Um, many of our patients with diabetes have high blood pressure, dyslipidemia, so their cholesterol is out of, out of control, underlying cardiovascular disease. These things sometimes come hand in hand. And when you when you start piling these things up and you look about the patient's 10-year risk for like a cardiovascular event, it's, it's high. It's very high. So that's what we're trying to avoid, right? Um, it's the complications. And that's what uh, sometimes patients don't understand. They'll say, yeah, I feel good. I'm okay. Medication's working. So my sugar's up a little bit or my A1C's up a little bit. What they don't get is over time, that's what's causing the damage. And that's what's going to put you at risk for something more serious. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. I'm here with our trusted contributor, John Papasturgiou from the Ontario Pharmacists Association. And we are talking about pharmacy clinics and we're having our own pharmacy clinic. We're going to go right to the phones. We've got Chris in Brampton. Hi, Chris. Hi, how are you? Fine. How are you? Not too bad. I just wanted to add a little bit to uh, type 2 diabetes. My, uh, I'm just about to turn 50 end of March, and my mother is um, in her early 70s, has uh, type 2 diabetes. And my grandmother in Sweden, who's 92, almost 93, has type 2 diabetes. And, you know, a lot of people say that they struggle with type 2 diabetes. But, you know, having been a chef a long time ago, the, the most key thing for for type 2 diabetes especially is is your diet you know the the uh, food sources that you choose should come from uh, uh, vegetables and and whole grains and still limited with whole grains but uh, the the uh, manufactured foods and processed foods is something you really need to stay away from and uh, and you know sometimes having an active job too I have an active job so I'm up and down stairs and that helps out a lot too but 
uh, you know, people take their medicine, but uh, stay active and, and choose your foods very carefully because diet means everything for a type 2 diabetic. Now, do you have type 2 diabetes or you're just trying to make sure you don't get it? No, I have it. I was diagnosed about six years ago, and uh, it was scary enough to me that I decided I wanted to live without complications and I didn't want it to curtail my lifespan. So um, I listened and I educated myself and I did exactly what I needed to do um, to, to live with diabetes because diabetes wasn't going away. So I had to modify my routine, my eating habits, and just uh, habits in general. Even like uh, when it comes to people who drink uh, beer, you have to be very careful with beer because some beers are made strictly from wheat and it has 20, 25 grams of carbs per bottle or can. But there are some beers uh, that you can Google, if I may say, a, a Danish beer called um, Fax, F-A-X-E, and also a German beer called Dab. We're doing C-A. beer commercials. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, have, they have minimal uh, carbs. Very, very minimal. I think Dab has three grams per a can and the fax beer from Denmark only has has zero act in fact and you know with, with the Google phones you can Google everything today you can make sure are you cheating do you have to cheat or can you stay within your limit and so education is very important and and your choices are very important it's important not to say well I'm cheating today I'm cheating don't cheat you know uh, live your life and and, uh, and educate yourself and always be active with it and you'll you'll beat it you'll beat it Okay, well, Chris, uh, it sounds like uh, you're on it. Yeah, it's very good advice. And, you know, I alluded to that earlier. Lifestyle with diabetes could be more important than anything, including the medication. If you're able to manage your lifestyle, um, you know, be engaged in that area, what you'll find is uh, the, the disease will progress much slower, but you may not even need medication at the beginning. And I've seen patients who've made dramatic lifestyle changes actually come off medication, and that could happen, but it's it's got to be dramatic. Okay, and thanks, Chris, for your call. Uh, uh, I was just about to ask that. So is are there situations where the type 2 diabetes, is it called a remission or are you cured or not, what's... No, yeah, well, not really. That's a good question. Once you've been diagnosed... You're, you, you have diabetes. Um, uh, what you can do, though, is make these, and especially at the, I have seen it at the borderline, where someone's blood sugars may be trending up, someone makes a, a, you know, a dramatic change, and then they, they, they flip themselves the other way. But once you're pretty much, you've, you've been diagnosed with diabetes, it's going it, to, I've never really seen someone not be diabetic after, but what you can do is really uh, maybe manage the condition with lifestyle before you have to go on all these medications, um, and definitely, definitely, definitely will slow the progression if you're able to do that. So you, you may be well-controlled and do fine for a much, much longer period. And uh, what about, I mean, it's really tough to lose weight. How important is that? That's a, that's a huge part of it, especially the central obesity, right? So uh, the, the weight around the belly, because we know that that, that is a big risk factor for diabetes and uh, uh, for, for poor control of your blood sugar, right? Um, if you're able to do that, uh, it could have a dramatic effect. If you're borderline diabetic, and we know patients could be that, and you lose the weight, you you may you may uh, stop yourself from progressing over into diabetes. So, but it's hard. I mean, you got to get to the gym. You got to exercise. Usually, we say uh, three to five times a week, at least thirty minutes of aerobic exercise. Manage your diet. 
it takes you making some fundamental changes. John, you did that. Yeah, I did that. I've been, uh, you know, and I've been sticking to it with my trainers and whatnot. Um, I can't lie. It's not always easy. I mean, you're, you you uh, have to find time to, to go in and, and do that. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to the gym. Maybe you just become more active, uh, uh, you know, outdoors and whatnot. But for some people, it's just they can't get themselves over that hump where, it, where you start. Once you start, it's almost uh, positive reinforcement after that. Yeah, and, and you can make it part of the routine and make it fit. I know I do. I used to go to a gym for certain exercises. Now I do a video in the morning because I don't have time. It works for me. Yeah, I mean, everyone's uh, got, you know, they're busy with their everyday life. But I think when you think about your health, there's probably, there's nothing more important than that. So if you're able to uh, factor in, and really it is 30 uh, 40 minutes a day, if you're able to just jam that in somewhere, it can make a dramatic difference. Okay. And actually, there are studies that show any amount makes a difference, yes. even if it's five minutes, five minutes. or 10 yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah. And still more studies that say that that short, intense bursts Burst. can give you a huge benefit versus a longer exercise period. Uh, I'm going to give the numbers out again, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. I'm here with John Papasturgiu, our trusted contributor from the Ontario Pharmacists Association. He's taking your calls and questions, whether it's diabetes, asthma, flu shots, osteoporosis, all of these that are conditions that really have to be managed. Uh, He's here to help. And uh, his pharmacy has these clinics every week, free clinics with a different topic. Yeah, and you know, it's rare to be able to sit with a healthcare provider and, and sit there. Like there's, you know, 30 minutes usually we schedule these appointments, 15. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. But uh, to get that one-on-one where you're not rushed, you're not in a hurry, you're not being interrupted by uh, other, other patients, I find it's very, very valuable. And, and uh, um, pharmacies are, are recognizing that this is an important way to manage their patients. And there's actually reimbursement for this in Ontario now too. So uh, we have the medication review program. So if you're on three or more chronic medications, you could go into your pharmacy and, and request a medication review. And that's a one-on-one session with the, with the pharmacist. And, and they're getting reimbursed to do that. And there's a lot of value in that because, uh, 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 like I said, these medication regimens can be quite complicated. You should get it cleaned up once in a while and looked at. Uh-huh. And yeah, maybe there's something you can come off. Come off, for sure. That's I always focus on, and we mentioned deprescribing is a buzzword now, but that's what I look at. I'm like, what do we need? When's the last time someone evaluated? And there's some, you know, dr- medications, drugs that we know are commonly implicated, like the, the PPIs, we call them for acid suppression. Many of our listeners are on these drugs. Uh, like, like, name uh, some. Losec, uh, Pantalock, all these medications. You know, you go into your doctor, ah, you know, I'm feeling some reflux. My stomach's been bothering me. Oh, here take a PPI, uh, they give it to you, and then no one ever takes you off it. You probably don't need it for more than two weeks, right? It's a, there's drugs like that that we really try to focus on. Uh, when's the last time anyone ever assessed that? Oh, it's been three years. Maybe we could take you off it. Maybe you don't need it because the cost is enormous as well. Well, I'm, I'm confused if the, the doctor prescribes something that you need to be on for two weeks. Why are they giving you repeats? Well, that's, it's, uh, you know, sometimes uh, uh, you get the symptomatic relief and the patients like it. They say, hey, it's working. Let's stay on it. And, and I see it, especially with our senior patients. They're on them for a long, long time sometimes. And, and that's what our role is as pharmacists. Let's reassess. Okay. Uh, let's talk to Shirley in Newmarket. Hi, Shirley. I just wanted to ask about neuropathy, nerve damage. Um, 
You, did you have I a specific question? Or? I'm not sure. Sorry? Can you repeat that, please? I'm sorry? What did you just say about neuropathy? I'm just wondering about it because um, I seem to have a problem in the mornings when I get up. And, and uh, Are you numb? Yes. Where? It seems to be in my back and down my legs. Yeah, yeah I have a really common problem. Um, we see neuropathy. We were talking about patients with diabetes. Just That's moment, one of the problems. I can hearing you. This one take my hearing aids out. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we, we do see uh, neuropathy very, very common. Uh, it's something that we try to manage. We try to figure out what the underlying cause is a lot of times. And, and we know in our patients with diabetes, that's one of the complications, these peripheral neuropathies and the fingers get numb, the feet. Um, uh, there are medications specific to managing it. There's a, a very common one called Lyrica that's used. You, yours sounds a little bit more like a sciatica, which is also a neuropathy, so it's a nerve pain. Um, it's it's something that you should get looked at. We have options to treat it. Uh, I try to focus on non-opioid medications, especially in our more elderly uh, patients. Historically, what we would do is, oh, here, take some Percocets or Tylenol-3s or whatnot. And uh, I don't think that's the best approach. Uh, there's medications that are non-opioid now that we could use to manage these conditions. Um, I have a question. Mm -hmm. And uh, Shirley, uh, please jump in. Uh, so if, if this is a condition of numbness as opposed to pain, why would an, a painkiller? Well, sometimes the neuropathies could get so bad that the, the only thing that does work are the, the opioids, right? And that's like the people with very, very severe neuropathies, right? Um, neuropathic pain can be debilitating in some patients, and it's much, much more difficult to treat than, than some of the more traditional like acute type pains. But, uh, yeah, in extreme cases, do we need to use opioids? Absolutely. But generally, we start with other agents first to see if they – and it depends on how often it happens and how much it's affecting your quality of life. But um, it's, it's something we're seeing more and more commonly, I find, in the, in the pharmacy well, I store. when I get up in the morning, it's quite bad. But if I do a few exercises uh, – yeah. Yeah, the exercise is helping, right? That's that's right. And a lot of times it has to do with strengthening the muscles around the area and uh, getting the circulation going, right? Yeah. Uh, neuropathy. I hate to take any more medication because I'm taking quite a bit, and I'm 87. Well, good good for you mm. for hating to take more that's medication, good, yeah. and good for you for trying some exercises. I was just going to suggest there's exercises that can you know, alleviate arthritis and, and numbness and all of that stuff. Yeah, so. get the joints moving, get the blood flow going. A lot of times that'll help resolve the symptoms, definitely. Yeah, good for you, Shirley. I think you're on the right track there. Okay. Thanks Thank a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, Al in Brantford. Hi, Al. Hi, you doing there? Fine. I got a question for the pharmacist. Yeah. I was speaking with a gentleman uh, two days ago, and he'd went through a uh, terrible time taking Shampax as well as with his medication. Yeah, so On the third day, he was so bad he hadn't slept for two days, and, he, and he, his wife was going to take him to the hospital. So, are you are you still are you warning people about taking an antibiotic with Champax or quitting smoking? So, uh, Champax, for for those that may not know, is a is a medication that's used to, to help people quit smoking, right? Um, you, 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 what you're saying is he had a problem because he took it with an antibiotic. Yes, my, my son, I had this personal experience about five years ago. My son ended up in the general hospital, strapped down on a stretcher in the emergency ward from taking the two of them. He was, taking, he was okay with the Shampax until 
he started taking the antibiotic, and that's what they sorted out down there, yeah. that you can't take Champax with an antibiotic. Uh, generally, that's not a commonly thought of interaction. I'd be interested to know which antibiotic uh, he was on. It could, it could, it sounds like it was a drug interaction. I don't think of Champax and antibiotics as being a huge problem generally. It's funny, I just gave a talk to a bunch of, an educational session yesterday on Champax to, to many pharmacists because there's new evidence now. It, it came out of something called the Eagle Study. Historically, we thought patients on Champex were at higher risk for neuropsychiatric type, type side effects, uh, uh, you know, anxiety, depression. And we were, we were occasionally worried about combining it with other medications. But this, it was a very well-designed trial, very uh, large, showed there's absolutely no difference between Champex and some of the other smoking cessation aids uh, with respect to those side effects. So I was very happy to see that because a lot of times in the pharmacy we'd get patients and many of them are on antidepressants or anything else. And we really wanted them to quit smoking. Um, but uh, because of the the other medications, we'd worry a little bit about that. So this trial has helped to clear some of that up. With respect to your antibiotic question, um, absolutely, can it happen in an individual? Uh, definitely. Uh, I don't think of that as commonly, and we do generally not stop the Champix if you're put on an antibiotic. We let it go. Let yeah. me ask you this, Al. Did did your son successfully quit smoking? Yes, but he was he was in the they they, they were they're going to put him in uh, in the psych ward down there. Oh dear. In in in, in the general or send him to a psych ward, he was strapped down for, and, and two guards watching him because he'd lost it out on the street. Yeah, it seems like it, definitely something happened there. Was it and related? This, and this, this individual here uh, two days ago, on the third day, he's, he's, he's in a position where he can't go to work. He, he's, he's got a third of the position, and he'd lost it at home. And his wife is going to, they got him to the doctor in the emergency, and uh, that was, it, it took him, he said, a week and a half to go to sleep at night and get his thinking straight. Yeah, it's a, it sounds like it. And it yeah. was an antibiotic. What, what rung my bell was, I asked him, Have you, were you on an antibiotic? And he said, I, I, was t- I started taking an antibiotic. He had uh, something wrong with his, a blister in his foot or something. Sometimes antibiotics can inhibit the clearance of other medications. It'd be interesting to know which one he was on. Um, well, uh, what they told me down at the general there was to Google a reporter with the Toronto Star. And I did. And he had a list of seven homicides that was traced back to that. Uh, I'm not sure yeah. about that, but we'll, we'll check on it. Thanks, Al. Yeah, check her out. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, so um, you're saying the smoking, the yeah. anti-smoking medication is good, but I guess you have to check with whatever else yeah, you're like taking. Yeah, like any other medication, if, you're, if there's a risk for drug interactions, that's what we look for, right? Another common clinic we have, smoking cessation clinics, if anyone's interested. Absolutely. John Papasturgio, our trusted contributor from the Ontario Pharmacists Association, thank you so much for that. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.